0: Hello and welcome to the Lib2110 podcast. My name is Wendy Myers and you can find me at Lib2110.com and you can learn all about my healing and detox program at MineralPower.com. Today we have a special guest, Dr. Roger Washington. He is a Stanford medical doctor, a family medicine practice, and he's going to be talking about All the things that prevent us from getting good sleep, all the tips to help you get better sleep, and how very interestingly, how prolonged lack of sufficient sleep causes disease, and how it's probably one of the main underlying causes of disease today. So we're going to be talking about the underpinnings of that very, very interesting show. Please keep in mind that this podcast is solely informational in nature. It's if you, know, you want to contact your medical doctor before engaging in any treatment that we suggest today on the show. And this is, program is for uh, entertainment purposes only. <laughs> it's God forbid the FDA come after us. Um, So I'm so excited my supplement liver rehab is available on Amazon. I created a line of supplements called bio rehab. That's the brand and the first product is called liver rehab. So please go to Amazon and take a look at it. I think it's really, really important to have healthy liver functioning. If your liver isn't working right, it's going to have a hard time detoxing the 80,000 chemicals and dozens of heavy metals that we have in our environment and making proper amounts of cholesterol and breaking down fats and uh, 10% of the population has fatty liver disease and we clearly have a big problem with our liver health and giving it assistance I think is really really important and that's why I I created liver rehab and spent several months formulating liver rehab and I something I take with every meal I think that you should too so go check it out at amazon.com our guest today is Dr. Roger Washington. Um, he's a Stanford Medical School graduate and Academy of Family Physicians fellow. Uh, Robert, I'm uh, sorry, Roger Washington has answered the question, "Doctor, why am I sick?" for thirty years. And in his first book, Lack of Sufficient Sleep Matters, Dr. Washington decodes the root cause of illness he discovered in California's Silicon Valley where sacrificing sleep is the norm. Son of a nurse and hospital attendant and a father of teenagers, uh, Jared and Maya, Dr. Washington chose the all-encompassing medical training of a family practitioner to become a more effective healer as well as to realize his passion for teaching the principles of illness prevention. Everyone who gets sick wants to know why and what they can do to prevent it from happening. And our guest today is a medical doctor who has spent 30 years decoding the connection between stress, lack of sufficient sleep, and the underlying true cause of illness. Dr. Washington, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Wendy. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background?
1: Right. I'm a family physician. I'm a fellow in the Academy of Family Physicians. I graduated from Stanford's Medical School. And for the past 30 years, I've been practicing medicine in the Silicon Valley of the high-tech region in California.
0: And so you practice family medicine in Silicon Valley, uh, you know, where the the tech industry culture encourages innovation and entrepreneurial spirit over sleeping so what did the you know what did all your your clients that were the dot-comers have in common that led them to get sick
1: well when i started off treating patients i like most doctors i would focus on their illness i would help them to get better but my passion became to try to figure out what it was about their behavior was it stress was it exercise or the lack of it what were about their attitudes could it be that might be contributing to their becoming ill over and over. And what I learned as a result of talking to these can-do kinds of people here in the Silicon Valley is that there's a, a cycle of illness. And rather than it being stress, as most people focus on, or genes and germs, it turns out the most critical factor with regard to why people get sick when they do is the lack of sufficient sleep. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and so in your book, Lack of Sufficient Sleep Matters, you illustrate how people will borrow energy by shortchanging changing themselves when it comes to rejuvenating sleep. So how did you conclude right. that this is the single most important common cause of people getting sick?
1: Well, as it turns out, it, it appears when I interview people after their illness, right, they come to see me, I treat them, and in their follow-up, when we can talk about it. What I found is that the can-do kind of people that I interview talk about the fact that when they have something that there's a challenge or what most people might consider to be a stress, and they make up their mind that they're going to accomplish it, they're going to get it done, something peculiar happens to them. They describe getting a sense of extra energy to get done what they need they want to do they feel more confident, more creative, they have more energy to get things done. There's a host of characteristics that happen, but when I ask them, "Well, are you stressed at that time?" they say, "Well, I'm not really sure what you mean by stressed? I just have to get it done." and it's it's not just the engineers, single mothers, there, there are a lot of people, they tend to be the the alpha people of the world who, when they make up their mind, they're going to get something done. They get extra energy, but I don't think it's extra. I think what they're doing is they're borrowing energy from their immune system because there can be no such thing as extra energy. Energy is not created or destroyed. Does that that resonate for you? The idea of borrowing energy by pushing yourself to get something done? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The peculiar thing about it was that while they're pushing, that's not when they get sick. They get sick when the stress is over or when they finish their their challenge. In fact, even when people go on vacation, if it's a very busy vacation, they're not really stressed. But when the vacation is over, when that's when they get sick. So I thought if it was really the stress, then they should get sick when they're in the middle of it. That's not what seems to happen. Over and over, people get sick when the stress lets up. Many, many examples of that. And it helps to explain some of the Conundrums, some, some of the puzzles that we see in clinical medicine when people get sick. Things like the Blue Death, for example. I don't know if you've heard of that.
0: No, 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 I haven't. What is that?
1: Well, the Blue Death is what policemen and firemen call the situation, you know, because they wear the blue uniforms, the situation where when they retire after supposedly a stressful career, they retire in their 60s, they don't live very long thereafter. You would think if it was the stress, then then it should get them in the middle of it. No, it seems to wait until the stress is over. And it's kind of a puzzle. Why does it wait? Well, there's another very poignant example, too, that doesn't involve policemen and alpha people. The idea is that very often a woman might be married to someone for, let's say, 30 years, and he takes ill with cancer. Well, now she's going to battle the cancer with him and she's at his bedside. She, she's her, his 24-hour support, right? But so let's say he passes away. Well, soon thereafter, very often, that woman dies. And people say, oh, she died of a broken heart. No. No, I think that she died because she lacked sleep. And it's the sleep that actually supports your immune system. And when you push yourself to get more done, You might feel as if you get more energy, what I call accelerated. But actually, the idea that you can get by with less sleep, no, you're borrowing from your immune system. And when the stress lets up and you decide to relax, that's when you see the results. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, sometimes it can be fatal.
0: Yeah, that's really, really interesting. My grandmother passed away about two months after her spouse died. This is 30 years ago. Um, wow. But that was my father's mother and she took care of him through a, a cancer illness and she died so two months really? later because so she you was, can relate absolutely she was exhausted and i always thought she died of a broken heart she died of she didn't P- want to be alone people
1: say that people say that um i think it's a little more complicated than that you know when people look at stress they say well you know she was stressed but when does someone not have stress right if you if you're married you're going to have stress if you're not married, you're going to have stress. If you have a job, stress. No job. If you have children, there's always stress. And, and you can't measure it. So it's not like you can tell someone, you know, you need to reduce your stress. If you don't, re- it it's scare them. No, I don't know that it's the stress per se. I think it's the response that some people have to stress by pushing themselves. The single mom, for example, who has no other options. She has to do everything for her family, for her children. She feels obligated. And what does she do? She pushes herself and sleeps less. She feels accelerated, I call it. In fact, I'm not sure people understand the accelerated idea, but anyone who's ever had a second wind at night, when they get that night owl experience, that's that's what I'm referring to when I talk about accelerated.
0: Okay. Yeah. So you identified that these are like high risk traits of hard charging successful people that lead to illness that you right. identified in your book with the acronym accelerated. Can you explain that a little bit more?
1: Well, sure. Well, um, for people to understand, it's helpful to to recall if you've ever had an experience in life where perhaps you became tired in the evening, and but you had something you wanted to do, like study for a test or go to a party or any kind of a, anything you wanted to do and decided to stay up instead of going to sleep. And then you get this second wind kind of experience where you, you get more energy. And when I talk to people about what they feel during that experience, I came up with the acronym Accelerated to describe all the characteristics. So the A stands for they feel like their minds are more active and, more, and they feel more confident and more creative and they have more energy. And the L stands for they feel like they can get by with less sleep. Oftentimes, if they push themselves through lunch, they don't even miss eating, so they can get by with less food. And the second E stands for entrepreneurial, because they have the sense that they can put resources together in a novel way to come up with an outcome that they want They want to achieve. The R stands for Randy. Uh, Randy is the, I needed an R, so the British term for things that are stimulating and And somewhat erotic. But it doesn't have to be erotic and just be stimulating or funny. In fact, what I tell people is when you stay up late at night to watch the late night talk shows, they're funny then. But if you tried watching them during the day, mm, not so funny. But you're stimulated at night. And the A stands for more articulate. People feel like they can express themselves. And the T is for titanic or strong. And the third E stands for entertaining and enthusiastic, kind of a charismatic kind of persona where people, alpha people, get this kind of energy that they can get. They can lead people and people will follow them. And the D stands for more driven and determined. In fact, when a person has this accelerated kind of experience or this night owl experience, if you will, it makes them feel, well, anything they have passion for, when they get the second wind, they have more passion for it. They love it more so that people who who are artists, that's when they create. And the mothers who want to have their house in in tip-top shape for their families, that's when they clean everything and come up with their exciting ideas. And the entrepreneurs come up with these exciting ideas that are going to help them crush the competition and bring a new invention to life. And people stay up and they feel stimulated and they call it their creative time. It's their ability to to burn. But what goes up must come down and the next day they feel out of it i call it crashed and burn another acronym yeah. but the idea is that the next day when they try to get up and they say oh i'm not a morning person and what do they do they resort to drugs like caffeine and and simple sugars to ch- get them charged up in fact i would th- say anyone who tells themselves i'm a night owl and wants to give themselves that that's the impression that that's normal for them would then have to explain why the caffeine the next day why the Why the tiredness after lunch? That around here we call it food coma. And in the evening, people get kind of tired and want their want their me time and want to sit in front of the television instead of being with their families. I don't know that the nighttime night owl experience is natural. I think of it more as an insomnia that we have as a defense mechanism. That if our ancestors, for example, it was dangerous to go to sleep right at eight o'clock, nine o'clock when the sun is down we would have needed an ability to get more energy to survive the night. And unfortunately, what people don't understand about sleep is that when you get the second wind, you forfeit your deepest stages of sleep, the sleep that supports the immune system, the sleep that the body releases what's called HGH, the human growth hormone. It's why the babies sleep so deeply, so they can get that human growth hormone and grow. But when we use the night owl experience, we forfeit it and we get the, the problem solving sleep where we dream and are easily awakened. So people wonder, well, why do I sleep so poorly when I go to bed late at night? What you've done is you've, you've triggered the emergency response to help keep you have a form of insomnia. That's why you can't stop your thoughts. Does that resonate? Does that help you to understand? Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I have, uh, I've read that if you stay up past 11 o'clock, that, that mechanism kicks in and you release a bunch of cortisol. So that's why you want to make sure you're asleep before 11 p.m. Or And I'm sure for everyone it's, it's a little bit different timing. Um, but then you kick off that survival mechanism and it keeps that's you right? up, gives you that second wind, and that you sacrifice quality sleep as a result.
1: Oddly enough, my experience with patients is that that second wind thing comes closer to 9, and by 11 people are – are wired. I call it fired up. And the idea is that the people who are alphas, the people who can can do the people, they seem to be more sensitive to the cortisol and the adrenaline that you mentioned. It's almost a matter of it, it's mind over matter. When they put their mind to getting something done, something happens to them and they get this extra energy. And in the evening, if they put their mind to staying up, they will stay up and they will feel more energized. And they will not go. You could depend on them to not go to sleep. They will solve the problem that night.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, so how can these people, these overachievers uh, change their, you know, workaholic lifestyles and stop compromising their health?
1: Well, to change lifestyle is a value. Remember when I said I I talked to my patients not only about their behaviors, but I, I also had to talk to them about their values and their beliefs. So if a person's belief system and their self-validation is around how much they can produce or how clean they can make their house or what, what plans they can come up with for, for their work or accomplishing some, some release or new invention, then that's what they're going to put first. And if you put that first, you're going to compromise sleep. That's the, way, that's the way it works. It's natural that when you do more, that you would need more sleep to be healthy. It's intuitive that every parent knows that if their child has a very busy day, maybe goes to the amusement park or the beach, that evening, the child tends to get drowsy earlier than usual, as if they need more sleep to stay in balance with their health. I think it's an intuitive um, idea that people should take a close look at. What we do as adults is we we do more during the day, but then we push ourselves. Instead of sleeping, we don't give into it. If we got tired in the evening, we'd say, no, it's too early to go to bed. And then what happens? We get that second wind, and it feels so good that we're, we're inclined to say, oh, well, it's natural. No, I, I call it my Washington sleep loss principle. And what it means is that when you do more activity, whether it's mental or physical, in order to stay healthy, you need to balance that activity with extra life-giving sleep, the HGH rejuvenative sleep. If you don't, then you're actually energy borrowing and you're going to run what we call a sleep debt. So many people who get by with seven hours of sleep have basically chosen that as their value. They've chosen that as their preference. It's a mind over matter. They tell themselves, I'm going to get seven hours and I'm going to keep going. And the brain falls in line and does what you tell it to do. But you're running a sleep debt and it's going to catch up with you later that's why people haven't figured it out yet even even the conventional medicine doctors haven't yet realized that it's a result of sleep debt that people get ill later in life in fact if i could i'd like to tell you one of the most interesting examples of it i think is is the story of bill clinton bill clinton when he was a youngster when he was in college he said when i'm the president right Not if I become president, as most people might be inclined to say. No, when I'm the president. He made up his mind, and he was one of the youngest governors ever of Arkansas. And then he became one of the youngest presidents, and he only needed four hours of sleep. He outworked everyone. You're not supposed to become president if you're from Arkansas, and you have divorce and alcohol in your family. No, he outworked everyone using all the – traits of the accelerated, including only needing four hours of sleep. He had the best doctors on the planet. He wrote a big book after his term two terms as president. He went and did a tour to, to promote his book. And then he did the Democratic National Convention, which was the the highlight, perhaps even the culmination of his political career. He was 57 years old. Within weeks he had quadruple bypass surgery. And he might have not. He might have died had he not had the best doctors on the planet, who were dealing with the illness once it showed up. But my my question: if the president of the United States can't depend on the the medical doctors and the conventions we have now to preserve his health and prevent him from getting sick, what what help what what hope do the rest of us have? No, I'm I'm asking people to look at their own lives. To look where they are energy borrowers and to use what I call the sick questions in my book to help them realize, do their illnesses when they get sick, do their headaches, do their flus. Come after a period of doing more activity with too little sleep and then when they slow down, is that when you become sick? Because that would be your warning. And I think Bill Clinton gave us a very poignant example
0: Yeah. And so, so you're saying that, um, you know, we're borrowing energy from our immune system. So obviously doing this night after night after night is going to be really problematic. So what are some of the most common illnesses that you found in your research, uh, common illnesses and diseases that are caused by this, you know, consecutive prolonged lack of sufficient sleep?
1: Well, there are many diseases that relate to lack of sufficient sleep. But let me tell you one of the ones that's interesting that helps people understand how how this process works. It's the hangover, right? So a person will have alcohol usually in the evening. And what alcohol is usually a sedative, but for some people, they find it activating. And if you think about the characteristics of accelerated, they become more talkative. They become the, the life of the party. They're having a great time. But we all know that alcohol ruins the quality of sleep. No one ever passed out from alcohol and woke up feeling refreshed. So alcohol ruins sleep architecture. So even though they pass out the next morning, what I'm saying is that they, that's when they become ill, when they slow down as a result of the lack of sleep. And when the person wakes up, how do they feel? They feel as if the light is too bright, as if the the sound of the clock on the wall is too loud. And they... What they want is the body is trying to drive them to get away from people, get away from noise, find someplace dark, pull the covers back over your head, and go back to sleep. Because that would be the antidote. The idea is that the the cause is lack of sleep and too much activity, and the treatment would be to pay back your sleep debt that you built up. But the person got up too soon for whatever reasons – and they were not in a position to be able to function. In fact, the hangover is very much like the people who wake up after doing the night owl experience, right? Where they stagger to the coffee pot and the, and everything bothers them and they're a little irritated until they have their drug that helps pick them back up and accelerate it again. Yeah. That's one of the experiences that, that lack of sleep causes. The other idea is that lack of sleep triggers certain metabolic activities, in other words, Insulin resistance, which is what causes people to become fat and eventually causes diabetes, insulin resistance is the way the body responds to emergency in order for you to survive by becoming fat. If, you, if, if we were prehistoric kinds of people and there was a real life-threatening emergencies around us, it's the fat people who would survive the longest. Insulin is the hormone that the body secretes. As a result of insufficient sleep, within a week, studies have been done to show that people who don't sleep, their, ability, their insulin rises, they become more insulin resistant, and they, be, they become more body fat. In fact, all the people that you hear about who diet and exercise, and then they lose a little weight, and then it plateaus, it plateaus because the body is fighting that. The body thinks there's an emergency. Imagine if you had less food and less, and had to run around more, that constitutes an emergency. And the triple threat would be to not get enough sleep too. Now your body's going to trigger insulin resistance and cause you to become, get diabetic, get high blood pressure, get cholesterol. In other words, pretty soon, I think 10 years from now, I hope at least doctors will be thinking that problems like cholesterol, diabetes, hypertension are triggered by things like lack of sleep, and lack of exercise, and the carbs that we eat. So I think that when people start to look at their own lives, in fact, and where they became ill, very often we find it's a lack of sleep in the period of time preceding the illness that (laughs) caused it.
0: How long does it take for that whole process to occur? I'm sure for everyone it's different, but so how long does someone need to go with, you know insufficient sleep before those metabolic processes begin happening that promote the blood sugar and insulin resistance, diabetes, et cetera., et etc?
1: There are some gene, gene studies that suggest that one night of poor sleep causes changes in our genes to trigger the kind of metabolic changes we're talking about. In other words, the body is designed to adapt and survive, and sleep is one of the things that we need. The only thing we need more than sleep is air. When you don't sleep enough, it immediately triggers changes. One of the studies that's done is, is depriving college students of, of sleep for a week and then checking the, their glucose changes in and, and response to a meal. And you can see that there's glucose tolerance test changes within a week. But as little as one night, you can see the difference in metabolic changes and, and certainly in how a person feels. It's just that we go into denial and tell ourselves we're still okay.
0: Yeah, I definitely notice that myself, if I have one night where I just don't sleep well for whatever reason, I notice the next day I want to eat more. Like that insulin is lowering my blood sugar and that's making just prompting me, just without even being aware of it, to eat more. And it's right. because that, the insulin that I'm storing, that fat and storing more exactly. calories, a vicious cycle. And But it's very subtle. You
1: know. If you think of it that way, you recognize that lack of sleep triggers your body to go into an emergency mode. It goes in emergency mode that night and gives you more night owl energy. It makes you feel more on alert. It makes you feel more anxious. It makes you wonder what's, what's out there in the dark. Small children lay in bed and think about what's under the bed. And what's in the closet? They become, become fearful. And, they, and then they won't go to sleep. They're back out in the living room wanting to make excuses. Can I have more water? Yeah. And it seems insane. What's going on with you? Right. They've triggered the reflex by staying up too late. And adults, we don't lay in bed thinking about what's under the bed. We think about the big problems, the money, our jobs, our relationships. And we mistakenly think that those thoughts are what's keeping us up. No, those thoughts were triggered by your staying awake too long and triggering the emergency response of insomnia and night owl experience. And it's so strong, you are not going to shut it down just by thinking about sheep or, or relaxing your toes. It's, it's designed to keep you awake. It's very powerful.
0: And so, um, so what is the, the best time to go to sleep? What's the best time to go to bed?
1: When you first feel drowsy and the sun's going down, nothing could be more natural. Every mother knows, you watch your children. They have a big day and they start to feel a little tired. They yawn, it's time to go to bed. And they're gonna protest, but mom, it's, only, it's early. And as soon as they lay their heads down, bang, right? So the point is, what could be more natural than listening to your own body? And when it tells you to go to sleep in the early evening, and you start to feel a yawn, it can only mean one thing. Your body's not lying to you. It's time. If you were in tune, if you loved sleep, if you love the way you feel in the morning when you wake up feeling refreshed and ready to go without an alarm, no food coma in the afternoon, then you'd listen to your body. And if you exercise that day, it's gonna come early, isn't it? Yeah. If you do a do big exercise, it'll come even earlier. In fact, I've been telling my clients, if you want to lose weight, listen to your body. Go to sleep when you first feel tired after that exercise. Think about it. Everybody's giving credit to the exercise. You're on that treadmill for, what, 30 minutes? What's it say? 400 calories? That's that's not even a cookie. That's supposed to make you lose weight? No, what it does is it makes you sleep better that night. Mm -hmm. Sleep is doing the heavy lifting. And exercise is getting all the credit.
0: Yeah, I have my clients that tell me that they're trying to lose weight and they wake up at 4.30 in the morning to get to the gym before they have to be at work at 8 or 9 a.m., and they're, I know they're totally, you know, shooting themselves in the foot because you're not going to lose weight by sacrificing sleep. It's just the exact opposite of that. That's why a lot of chronic exercisers find that they, they're they spinning their wheels. They're like a hamster on a wheel, just going, 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 and they don't make any kind of progress because That's they're so sacrificing true. sleep. So true. Yeah. So how can people determine if they're getting adequate amounts of sleep every night? You talked a little bit about the sleep debt. Can right. you talk a little bit more about uh, the, the details with that and you know when people sacrifice sleep, how long it takes to make up for that sleep deficit?
1: Well, um, it depends on how long the person has been in sleep debt. For some people, it's been lifelong. But to help people understand this whole mechanism, I, I suggest that they, they look back on their own lives. Perhaps uh, when they have come home from college, or when they were young and they lived in their own, they lived in their mom's house and they knew that they'd built up some sleep debt intuitively. They'd know they'd not slept well the past few nights and they give themselves permission to get some sleep and they tell themselves, I'm not getting up tomorrow. That's how it starts. It starts with the power of suggestion, the power of intention, what you believe. And if you tell yourself, Okay, tonight I'm going to get good sleep, then the next day when you wake up, You will look at the clock and no, no, I'm going back to sleep and then you sleep more and then you might wake up again because that's the cycle. We wake up every 90 minutes or so and we can go back to sleep and then you don't have a shred of doubt or shred of guilt when you're 19 and living in your mom's house and you sleep again. And then you might wake up afternoon and you feel great and you paid back your sleep debt the next night. If you did it the same way, you wouldn't sleep till noon might wake up at 10.30 or 11 o'clock. That means you've been paying back some of your sleep debt. And the more often you do it, the better you'll feel. The people that go on vacation, they claim that they're tired and they feel stressed because they're at work. But if you ask them how they feel on their first day of vacation, not so great. But you ask them on the third and fourth day of their vacation, after they've had a chance to pay back their sleep debt, then they start feeling better. The idea is that when you give yourself permission to pay back your sleep debt and sleep all you can, this concept that people can sleep if they're lazy, it's not true. If that were true, we'd have people in jail sleeping their life sentence away. Right? No, you can't sleep just because you want to. You have to need it. No one would go into a baby's room and wake her up and say, oh, I think the baby slept too much. No, that baby's sleeping because she needs it. She needs it to grow. We don't need it to grow as adults, but we need it for rejuvenation, to support our immune systems. We need it for the HGH release that that keeps us healthy, right? So the idea is getting as much sleep as you can when you can. So paying back on the weekends is one way of doing it or when you're on vacation. But the idea is you have to give yourself permission. You have to value sleep and then your body will fall in line. So
0: is there any risk of getting too much sleep? Can you get too much sleep?
1: It's interesting you say that. There are people who worry about it. And when I talk to them, they worry about it because they say, sometimes if I sleep more, it makes me more tired. Is that the kind of phenomenon you're talking about? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, let me let me say a word about that. When I ask people about their sleep experience, I have to remind them that very often, There's been some time in your life where you told yourself to wake up at a certain time. You set the clock, it was important to you, and a minute before the clock went off, you woke up. You looked at the clock, turned it off, and took care of what you thought was important. That suggests you can control the way you sleep with your thoughts. There's no doubt about it. So my point is, the people that wake up and said, I slept too much and it made me more tired, No, the scenario was they gave themselves permission to go to sleep and sleep long. And the next morning they woke up, they went back to sleep, they woke up again. Then their guilt kicked in. They looked at the clock, they saw it was nine o'clock and they said, oh no, I have to to get up. And the brain says, boss, you told us we could sleep in. We just woke up to make sure we were safe. Now, are you sure we need to get up? Oh, I got to get up. I can't sleep the whole morning away. And now you're discombobulated because you reneged on your original promise. If you did it the way we originally talked about, where if you feel like, oh, I I could sleep some more, then go back to sleep. Sleep as long as you can. Then you won't feel tired. Here in the Silicon Valley, we say, if you defrag your computer, if you push that button, you have to wait till it's over. You can't just reboot it just because you think it's been enough time. And that's what people do. They think they can renege on their promise to sleep in the morning because their guilt sets in. That's why they wake up feeling tired. My colleagues in medicine say it's because they woke up in in a different sleep cycle. I don't agree. I think that most people have had the experience that at least one time in their life, without guilt, they slept as long as they can. They did the natural thing, and they woke up refreshed. No, no one can sleep more than you need. It's impossible.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point because I always try to tell my clients to sleep for 8 to 10 hours a night and they're just they they just can't even believe I'd want them to sleep that much because it's so you know, counterculture to our, you know, work till you drop kind of mentality in the United States. Um, But people do, especially if they're not well, they have chronic health issues, they're fatigued, they have been for years or even decades, you need to sleep more, even if it's 10 or even 12 hours a night, I have some clients that sleep for 12 hours a night, and they feel very guilty um but i think it's very yeah i know they they need it you absolutely need it if your body's let, it, let you know sleeping that long you your body needs it and i really like what you were saying about beliefs um because your beliefs about sleep because i have a lot of clients that believe when they go to sleep they're not going to sleep well they know that they're going to just repeat what has happened night after night after night that they're going to go to sleep. They're just going to lay there. They're not going to be able to go to sleep. They're going to have anxiety and they're going to get a crappy night's sleep, just like they did the last two years. So can you talk a little bit about beliefs and sleep?
1: You know, I have an expression that I I learned from, from George Clinton and, and uh, George Clinton in one of his lyrics said, you gravitate towards that which you secretly love most. And the people who like walking around telling me and you about the fact that they wake up every night at 327. I wake up every night at 327. It's the most amazing thing. I wake up at 327. Yeah, sometimes not 327 exactly, but usually about three. Yeah, of course you're going to wake up. We talked about that. You can program yourself to sleep. The people that sleep well, love sleep. They don't fight it. And they're confident they're going to wake up in the morning feeling refreshed. Those are three of the, the characteristics that that um, Dr. Bill Dement characterized the people who are the best sleepers. They believe that they're going to sleep well. They know they're going to sleep well. The people who walk around thinking, "Well, I'm not going to sleep well," yeah, that's right. You keep telling yourself that. That's what's going to happen. And so, what I teach, what I coach people about sleep is, that you have to change your beliefs. You have to change your values. Do you love sleep, or do you love getting more done in the evening? Because you can't have it both ways. You can't trick your your body. You can't trick your mind. You gravitate towards that which you secretly love most. And those people who have difficulty sleeping or who think that you can sleep too much, what I do is I dare them, I double dare them to find people in their 80s and 90s, wherever you like. Go to your church, go to your synagogue, go to the grocery store. Find someone who's 80 or 90 years old that's healthy, that tells jokes, lives in their own home, takes care of themselves, and ask them about their relationship with sleep. And you're going to hear a love story. People who love sleep. People who make their bed in the morning and say, I'll be back. Because they have the mindset that sleep is good. They recognize what it does for them. And it's a relationship that most of us don't have here in the States because we have this other can-do mentality. It's different in places like Europe where they have siesta, they honor sleep. Well, it's not only the fact that they honor sleep. It's also that they don't honor trying to do more. In other words, when you're a, a waiter in, in France and you're 18 years old, you're going to be a waiter when you, when you retire. You're not going to own the restaurant. It's not their ambition to try to do more and be the manager. And No, they're content with, with what life offers them. They have a different attitude about sleep and about life. Whereas we are can-do kind of people that want to do more. And we characterize and get our validation from our achievement. Uh, Well, if that's your value, it's going to interfere with your sleep and it's going to cost you your health. I'm trying to tell people to go look at my book. Look at the different colorful scenarios I describe of people's illnesses. Things like urinary tract infections and migraines and and gout and kidney and stones, all these kinds of diseases that people take for granted and think it's their genes or their stress or their, or the germs that they're around. You know, I'm telling people, if you don't honor your immune system, if you don't honor your sleep, then you're going to be suspect, susceptible to getting diseases in the future. So I think that it's hard to get people to value something differently they have to decide for themselves what's most important. Yeah.
0: Some people, if they are not getting quality sleep and they or they have the belief that they're not getting good sleep, will resort to sleep aids. So let's talk a little about that because there's millions of people being prescribed Xanax and Ambien or they're drinking a glass of alcohol every night. They believe that they have to have that glass of alcohol to sleep good. So let's talk about how those medications actually prevent you from getting a good quality restorative night sleep.
1: Okay. Well… Well, some sleep is better than no sleep. That's always the case. But basically, there's two types of sleep. There's deep rejuvenative sleep, the HGH-releasing sleep, the human growth hormone. That's the deepest stages of sleep. Deep because we're less responsive to our environment. We're more vulnerable. It would take more to wake us up during that stage of sleep. Parents are familiar with it when they carry their children up from the car to the bedroom, and you could turn them upside down or put their pajamas on. They're 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 very deep into sleep. The idea is that human growth hormone is released at that time. The other type of sleep is the what I call problem-solving sleep. That's where we have dreams. That's where we solve our issues. Where we take our short-term memories and put them into long-term things that we learned. That's when we need to put it together so that we can use it for the future. We tend to have the problem-solving sleep after midnight. We tend to get our deep sleep before midnight. It's critical to life, it's critical to health, so the body knows to do the critical maintenance first. And the idea is that very often, we miss our opportunity to go to sleep by pushing ourselves to stay awake for whatever reasons, and then we lay in bed with those anxious thoughts that I talked about earlier, and then we try to use different tricks to get ourselves to go to sleep. But even still, we're not going to get the best sleep we can. Very often, people will try to use melatonin. Melatonin is designed to be weak. Melatonin is, is the natural hormone that comes out of the, in the body at about 9 o'clock. to helps us go to sleep. But if there was an emergency, we can easily override it. And also, if there's light, we, we're not likely to go to sleep for mel- melatonin other things that people do are to use things like alcohol as you mentioned and alcohol maybe a little bit of it might help to ease our way into sleep if we have just a small amount but more than two drinks certainly is likely to as it's being metabolized it ruins the quality of sleep furthermore the medications the sleeping medications like ambien or xanax these are the benzodiazepines and the similar medications They're all in the same family as the alcohol, really. So they tend to help us to fall asleep, but they interfere with the architecture of sleep to some extent. So it sacrifices some of the deepest sleep, and we get more of that problem solving sleep. But again, some sleep is better than none. I suppose if a person used a sleep aid rarely, or maybe once a week or twice a week, they're probably not going to get in trouble with it, but actually, you can get, become psychologically dependent on it as well as physically dependent on it. It changes the chemistry in your brain. It interferes with your, how you feel the next day. It's not a particularly good idea. There are other ways to get in tune with your own body. But I suppose if it was an emergency, uh, you needed to sleep, you're on a plane, for example, those kinds of things, then maybe one of the sleep aids might be appropriate.
0: And what about sleep supplements? Um, I'm a fan of these just until people can kind of get their sleeping situation resolved and maybe uh, reduce their stress and, you know, get their head around doing that and and improving their sleep environment and their sleep habits. Um, I'm a fan of some sleep supplements um, that can be helpful. But melatonin is interesting because, you know, melatonin is used to help people fall asleep. Uh, That's the the key with melatonin. A lot of people don't make enough because they have gut issues or amino acid absorption issues, whatnot. Um, But can you talk a little bit about uh, the weak effects of melatonin? And a lot of people think, oh, melatonin doesn't really work for me. What are some of the things that can interfere in supplementing melatonin and having it prevent us from falling asleep?
1: Melatonin doesn't work if you don't want it to work. So the people who take melatonin and then go watch television until they get tired. They want to watch television. They don't want to sleep. People that would take the melatonin and do a few more errands around the house. They don't want to sleep. They're fighting the melatonin. So the idea is that melatonin only works if you want to sleep and it's safe to sleep and there's no light. Melatonin can be helpful, but it had un- only under those circumstances. You know there's so many people who will take a sleep aid and what they want is they want, to be, they want to be hit in the back of the head and feel yeah. – they, they want to nod. That's yeah. what they want, right? They, don't, they dread laying in bed with the tossing and turning. So they take the medication or Ambien, if you will, and what happens is they start going doing things around the house. Basically what they're doing is, is practicing fighting the Ambien. Instead of instead of taking the ambient and then learning what it feels like to start to get drowsy and then welcome it, embrace it, they fight it. And that's the main thing that prevents people from being able to benefit from the sleep aids they do use.
0: Because melatonin is really weak, right? Isn't it meant to be overridden? It's a, The mechanism is meant to be overridden.
1: That's right. The melatonin allows us to stay in the primary operating system. Melatonin... Comes out at about nine o'clock in the evening and helps us to shut down. If, however, we have some overriding reason to stay awake, our body presumes that there must be an emergency. So it kicks in the emergency hormones that you alluded to earlier the cortisol, the adrenaline, the glutamates. The glutamates are designed, they're brain transmitters that are designed to not only keep you awake, they're designed to make you anxious and fearful what-if kinds of thoughts because those kinds of thoughts late at night for our prehistoric ancestors would have kept them alive because that's the kind of thinking you need to have when there's actually danger however what people don't understand is by continuing to do it over and over and over these glutamates and cortisol and adrenaline they stick around the next day so it's one of the common reasons why people have what what some doctors call ants automatic negative thoughts a-n-t-s The idea is you start thinking bad thoughts for no reason. It's the chemicals that are circulating in your body that make you feel that way. Mm -hmm. Does that help?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So I have a lot of clients that say, oh, well, melatonin doesn't work for me. Get in bed. But when you take gotcha. it, go to the bathroom, do everything you have to do, take the melatonin right. and get into bed. And it also has to be liquid. I prefer liquid and uh, be taken oh. sublingually because that's when it absorbs you don't really get a lot of benefit if you take a pill and, and take it that way. I prefer a liquid version of that. And I find for myself, if I take it and then I even maybe 10 minutes later I have to get up to go to the bathroom – you know, the effects are not nearly as dramatic as if, you know, I just stayed in bed and went to sleep. Um, Mm. so, so, so in your book, um, you talk about, you know, why some people do their best work at night. Um, can you talk a little bit about this?
1: Well, um, the idea is that these are the people who call, consider themselves night owls and they get that second wind experience. They get the cortisol and the adrenaline and the glutamates and they have, the ability to, to be, feel more passionate about the things that, that are important to them. And that's when they have their energy. And so for three or four hours during the evening, between nine and two o'clock or whenever they decide to go to bed, that's when they feel like they get their best work done. Because the following day, they feel more what I call crashed and burned. The idea with, behind crashed is that the next morning when a person is crashed, the C stands for they feel crashed like they hit a wall. And the R stands for feeling reclusive, like they kind of want to be left alone. And the A stands for angry and a little bit irritable. That's when people find themselves difficult in traffic or when a colleague brings them a problem and they feel irritated by it. And the S stands for a little bit sleepy because when a person's crashed, they, they don't feel quite as, and the sleep they get is not as good. The H stands for hunger because it gives you the munchies, as you described, and people start craving sugar because sugar will make you fat. And it's the most effective way to survive if you needed to have more calories. The E is for feeling empty, as if somebody pulled the plug in that afternoon food coma kind of feeling. And D is for depressive, not in the sense that I want to kill myself depressive, but more like I really don't have the full energy and motivation that I usually have. If I come home from work and my children want to play and, and do something exciting and, and fun and that will enrich their lives, I feel more like I want to sit on the couch and decompress because I don't write quite feel myself. So the idea is that people get this accelerated feeling at night, but they pay for it the next day unless they use their drugs like caffeine and sugar that we mentioned earlier.
0: Yeah, I wanted to you know revisit that concept again, because I know there's a lot of people out there, and I used to be guilty of this myself, where I would kind of feel like at 9 o'clock, I'm like, yeah, I could go to bed, but I want to stay up and work on my website, because I really felt like I did my best work from about 9 to midnight, even 1 a.m. if I was really on a tear, uh, working on a blog post, um, but it... it was taking a toll on my health. I could tell my adrenals were suffering, and I just didn't feel as well. But you people get stuck in that cycle and that pattern where they're staying up late, doing whatever it is that they want to do, whether it's watch TV or read a book, whatever they're doing. And I think it's just really, really important for us to you know repeat that that that's uh, you know not a good idea. Now that I go to sleep, at I'm in bed at 9 p.m. Usually asleep by 9:30, and I feel so much better. I feel like I'm even though. I kind of feel like I'm sleeping my life away. <laughs> I feel like ultimately I'm more creative and more productive during the day as a result of my, right. my habit of you know making myself, disciplining myself to go to bed at 9, 9.30. Um, it's a
1: relative so, feeling. That's right. It's a relative feeling. People that are feel like they're not morning people, what they're doing is they're depressed and crashed during the day. They're dragging through the day. They're going through the motions. They're like a cranky kid that has more social skills, so they can mask how they're actually feeling. And they have the benefit of being able to take the drugs. The idea is that when they're not quite feeling full bandwidth during the day, by comparison, that three or four hours of feeling full bandwidth at night feels wonderful. So they have to ask themselves, what am I really doing? I'm inflicting a different personality on my family, my friends, my children, uh, my colleagues. The people that depend on me to make good decisions. When people think of it that way, then they might be able to buy in. But first, they have to experience it. People have to look at how they're ensnared in this cycle of, of increased accelerated activity and then crashed mode and, and the illnesses that it presents.
0: Yeah, so you worked with one of the, the top sleep researchers in the world and uh, you were, had talked at one point, we had talked previously, and you were talking about the top four uh, things that good sleepers have in common. Um, can you talk about that and some of these tips that people need to get a good night's sleep?
1: Well, the idea is that Dr. Dement suggested that good sleepers have four characteristics. And his idea was rather than saying what's normal or or what's common for people, the seven, seven and a half hours that people talk about, the fact that, that people who are older seem to sleep less. So then people want to say, well, maybe people who are older need less sleep. No, look at their health before you start saying that that's a good idea. And so what he said is that if you want to know how to sleep, then follow the examples of good sleepers. It's like the Suzuki method you want to be a good violin player, listen to the best violin players in the world. So what he said is that these people tend to get up the same time every day. They look forward to sleep. They go to sleep when they're first tired. And they're confident. See, that's the important part. It's the belief. They are confident. They're going to wake up in the morning feeling refreshed. So they sleep well. And I think that people, if they decide that they want to be a good sleeper, they have to adopt that set of values. The waking up at the same time, it's because they, they listen to their body. So they're in tune with, with what their body needs. They go to sleep when they first feel drowsy, they make up their sleep debt. It's usually only eight hours. So they wake up about the same time each day. And I once again, I suggest that if you, if you find somebody who is old and healthy, You're going to find someone who does it that way for whatever reasons.
0: And so say someone, they go to bed early, right when they're tired, they go to bed at 8 or 9 p.m. And then maybe, you know, four hours later, they wake up in the middle of the night and they still have, you know, six hours before they have to get up at 6 a.m. or what have you. Is it okay to wake up in the middle of the night and get up and do something? Or should you just lay in bed and just tough it out?
1: No, I don't think there's any reason to tough it out. The scenario you, you described, there's six hours left before morning. They could easily get, get up. There are some people that they describe having creative hours during that two hours. They go back to sleep and have a set, what they call a second sleep, but they got eight hours total. Mm-hmm. That's the issue. The issue was that they tried to stay in sync. Very often what happens is if we decide that we need to solve a problem, that's our, our, our love. That's what we designate ourselves to do. Well, it's quite likely we might wake up in the middle of the night having solved that problem and write it down and then go back to sleep the next morning to enjoy the fruits of our our labor, so to speak. So it it wouldn't be unusual. It's not detrimental. The key is that they get the eight hours of sleep, excuse me, they, they get the hours of sleep they require to pay back their sleep debt.
0: Okay, great. Very good. Yeah, so I have a question I'd like to ask all of my guests. What do you think is the most pressing health issue in the world today?
1: The most pressing health issue has to do with our values and our sleep. Because what we're going to find here in our country, we're spending more and more money every year of our gross national product towards health care, and our health is not getting better. It's not going to get better until we learn to value what's important. To value sleep, it, it's it's important to 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 produce things, to invent things, but it also is important to stay in tune. When we see in the world places like India, India has diabetes now. It's become epidemic. It's become an epidemic in the cities. You don't go to to villages in India and find diabetes because people in the villages they live according to their body's biological clock. They go to bed early, they get up early. They work hard each day. They eat the same food that people eat in the cities, but they don't get diabetes. The people in the cities are starting to adopt this can-do, get-more mentality, and they sacrifice their sleep. They're sacrificing their health because, as we said, lack of sleep triggers insulin resistance, for example. and But I, I'm suggesting that lack of sleep, it actually deteriorates our immune systems. And when we slow down, that's when we get sick. Too many people slow down when they retire and die, people in the military. I talked about the firemen and the policemen. Too many people when at the end of their project is when they get sick. For example, no one gets the deep venous thrombosis, the blood clots in the legs. No one gets those on the way to the big meeting on the East Coast. They get them on the way back when the meeting is over. They have to pull themselves together and go through this big project. They sacrifice their sleep. They get to the East Coast. They make the presentation. They get the deal. Maybe they don't get the deal. But they decide it's time to relax. They get back on the plane. Now they get deep venous thrombosis. They tell women that you, if you have uh, intercourse, you can get a bladder infection. And they call it honeymoon cystitis. But yet the woman knows she has intercourse many other times and doesn't get a bladder infection. doesn't happen every time. I don't get it. Well, the point is, if you ask the woman on her honeymoon, what was her pre-wedding experience? She was trying to micromanage every aspect of her perfect day. And she was pushing herself. She was doing her work. She was calling her mom on the phone. She was calling the event planner. She was taking every care of everything that had to be done. But then when she decided to relax and then she had the intercourse, that's when she gets the the the, the bladder infection. People have kidney stones. They say... Uh, doctor, how long have I had the stone? Well, from the size of it, it must have been there for weeks or even months, maybe years. Well, why did it hit me on Monday? Good question. Maybe you were stressed. Well, we don't actually know. But if we look at the at the sleep loss principle, it suggests that that person was pushing themselves, getting by with less sleep. On Friday, they pushed themselves and through the weekend. And then that Sunday night, they decided, oh, I can relax. Then they got the kidney stone. The point is that it's stress Is not so much the issue. So, trying to relieve people's stress and talk more about meditation, more exercise, good idea. But the point is that it's hard to measure those things. If you look through the look at my book and the sleep, the sick questions, I call them, where you look at your life before you became sick, very often you see that after pushing yourself and slowing down,
0: that's when they got sick.
1: <laughs> That's right.
0: So where can uh, the listeners learn more about your book, uh, Lack of Sufficient Sleep Matters?
1: Well, there's a couple ways people can can find out more. One is we have a website, uh, sleepmattersthebook.com, and people can download one of the chapters. It's the chapter about Accelerated. So it describes this can-do experience that the alpha people of the world have. And so I invite people, or your listeners, for example, to to take a look at these examples and see if they find themselves in this um, accelerated kind of experience, because it suggests that they'll be ensnared by illness. And of course, my book is available on, on Amazon, and it's called Lack of Sufficient Sleep Matters.
0: Well, Dr. Washington, thank you so much for coming on the show. That's going to help so many people thank get you. better ideas about how they can improve their sleep. Because I learned a lot in this podcast. Um, I think there's a lot of details about sleep, people, little nuances people aren't quite tuning into. And it's costing them their life. It's costing them their health, etc. So thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: And listeners, if you want to learn more about me, you can go to live to one hundred and ten dot com. You can learn about more about my healing and detox program on my new upcoming website. It's mineralpower.com. That'll be up in about a month. Thank you so much for listening to the Live to One Hundred and Ten podcast.
1: Thank you, Wendy.